Right, my main text today is going to be from the book of Hebrews. Just three verses, the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. One of the most kind of corny cliches of being a dad is saying all the same things your dad said to you. You'll poke your eye out, right? Or, uh, you know, if you make that face, it'll stay that way, that kind of thing. And I think probably the most common of all these truisms, these, these cliches that come from dads, is telling a kid, particularly a son, keep your eye on the ball, right? Because this is a very all-American thing. Baseball's our national pastime. And you have both the literal baseball situation in which you're, you're teaching your son to hit the baseball and you say, son, keep your eye on the ball. Make sure that you, you focus on the ball as it comes in. And then later you have kind of the metaphorical things where they're trying to achieve something and they start getting sidetracked. You say, no, 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 keep your eye on the ball. And you know, that's for most people, a pretty common part of, of language. Not so in my house. My son has never cared about baseball at all. Not one bit, but he's like a triple black belt in karate and he could probably kill me with his thumbs. And so, you know, I say things like, keep your eye on that kid's head so your reverse spin kick will connect, that kind of stuff. But the reason I think that it's such a common thing, it comes up again and again, is that we have a hard time focusing on the thing we're supposed to focus on. When someone is up to bat, you've got kids here and you know, sometimes you watch kids Little League or, or T-ball or something, and you got kids in the outfield just running in circles or picking flowers or whatever, and you're like, come on, head in the game, eye on the ball. And when someone's standing there at home plate, they often start looking somewhere else. They're looking at their shoes. Oh, are my feet in the right position? They're you know, looking out at uh, the, the pitcher, trying to make eye contact with him and get inside his head. They're looking at the kid who's creeping up on second base, thinking, oh, I hope he makes it. Or they're pulling a Babe Ruth, looking out into the outfield, trying to call their shot where they want the ball to go. And you have to say, no, 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 focus on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. And that's an important role, I think, of a dad in a son's life. And, and in a similar way, the main work of the Holy Spirit inside of us is to make us keep our eye on Jesus, to not take our eyes off Jesus and put them on something else, looking over here and over there and out into the future and down at our feet. The Holy Spirit's work is to keep us looking toward him. And it starts even before we come to faith because the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us to faith. So when someone is looking into Jesus, right? I know a lot of people who are like, well, I think there's more to this world. I think there's more to this life. I'm not quite sure. And they're looking at different religions or different systems and different ways that people have said you can gain salvation. The Holy Spirit says you're looking into Jesus. I'm going to have you looking to Jesus and get your eyes on the Christ on the cross dying for your sin because that's the only place you'll find salvation. 
Scripture says, Jesus says, you cannot come to the Father except through me, and you can't come to me unless the Father draw you, and the way the Father draws you is through the Holy Spirit inside of you compelling you toward the cross. But when we come to faith and we come to the foot of the cross and receive salvation, the Holy Spirit's job, it doesn't change that much. Now we're not looking into Jesus. He's having us look unto Jesus, which is what the King James says here. Looking unto Jesus, the author, author and perfecter of our faith. Looking unto him. I think the NIV, the ESV, they just say looking to Jesus. Looking to him as we run the race. Looking into the one who brings us salvation. And that means usually keeping us from looking into ourselves because that's where we want to draw our gaze, to ourselves. And the Spirit pulls our eyes up and away from ourselves to Christ. If that's the case, then I suggest that Satan's main work in your life, you ever think about that? You know, God's doing something and we're always saying to each other, what is God doing in your life? Everything about asking someone, hey, what's Satan doing in your life? <laughs> what Satan is trying to do in our lives is get us to look away from Jesus and to look to ourselves instead. In fact, the word devil, it's diabolo in Spanish. It comes from the Greek diabolos. And it really woodenly in its component parts means dia means through. Balo means to throw. So kind of to throw through. It means a slanderer, an accuser. So you have this picture of, of the devil almost throwing accusation after accusation, slander against us. And of course, slander is not true. And often what the devil says about us is true. And that really trips us up. But he's out here going, no, no, yeah, keep your eye on this ball. Throwing fastballs and curveballs of accusations against us. He's saying, your sin is too big to be forgiven. It's too grave. You'd, yeah, there are other people and they say they have sins, but when they talk about them, you know what's in your heart and it's beyond. And so just kind of forget about being holy or following Jesus. Or perhaps your faith is too small. Yeah, yeah, maybe God can forgive sins, but not with puny faith like yours. You're always doubting and you're always full of anxiety. Or maybe your repentance isn't very good because even though you turn from your sin and then turn from it again, we both know you tripped up last week. And I mean, that's a sin you thought you had covered 20 years ago and now it's back. Come on, fastball, fastball, then a change up coming in with, well, but you aren't reading the Bible enough and you're not in prayer enough. You're all busy, so busy, you're too busy for God. Trying to bring shame and hopelessness by getting you to look away from Jesus to yourself. Or the opposite, but equal, and I say equal meaning to the same effect, another tactic is pointing at the good stuff you do. Ah, you are pretty righteous. Look at all the good you've done. And think about how little other people do. You know, a lot of people, they don't ever go to church. They don't ever help their neighbor. They don't, they don't ever, remember when you went out there and you, no one even asked. You shoveled that old lady's walk. And then she called the police and you were really kind about it. And, you know, or, or the bad stuff you don't do. There's other people that, that are just, they're falling left and right. And you, you know, people can't even see the sin that you've got because it's locked away. Or the stuff you used to do and you don't do it anymore. So, hey, I mean, maybe you used to have to keep your eyes fixed on Christ way back then. But that was like training wheels. Now you're an advanced Christian and you don't really need that anymore. And instead of bringing shame and hopelessness, this brings false confidence in the flesh 
which is probably even more damaging to a Christian's soul. Remember the words of St. Paul, take heed those who think they stand lest they fall. Thinking you're standing straight and, and getting it all together is a prelude to a great fall. We will never find comfort looking into ourselves. You will never find, just like someone can't find salvation, people will often say, look in your heart. Why? In my heart, I find deception, wickedness, and a broken law. The gospel says, look away from that. Look to the Christ on the cross on Calvary. That's where you find salvation. The Spirit is telling us constantly to do that as Christians. He tells us, we're nothing, but Christ is all in all. Look at Him. Look to Him. It's not your hold on Christ that keeps you safe or that saves you. You'd let go every time and slip away. It's his hold on you, rather. Remember, Jesus said we're in his hand, and the devil, the enemy, no one can snatch one of these sheep from his hand. We are safe in his hand, in his grip. There's a Max Lucado book called In the Grip of Grace, and it's stories about people you would never have thought could get saved who found Jesus because his grace grabs us and pulls us out of the miry pit. We don't grab him. That's not how it works. So... Keep your eye on him, the source of all of your comfort, the source of all of your hope and righteousness and your very salvation. Keep your eye on him. And I think it's interesting that this little passage comes at the end of Hebrews 11. We go right into this then. What's Hebrews 11? Does anyone remember? Yeah, the hall of faith, the hall of fame, really, for, for uh, the Bible. It just brings us through the faith of all these people. Moses and Rahab and David. And we go through all these people that did all these great things. And you might start to think, oh, wow, I should be able to look at myself and go, oh, I can see some, uh, you know, really building up. No, immediately, the apostle says, hold on, though, lest you think you need to be looking inward. Keep your eyes, in all of this, fixed on Jesus. Look unto Jesus. This is what Spurgeon wrote on the topic. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. Keep thine eye simply on him. Let his death his sufferings, his merits, his glories, his intercession be fresh upon thy mind. When thou wakest in the morning, look to him. When thou lies down at night, look to him. Oh, let not thy hopes or fears come between thee and Jesus. Follow hard after him and he will never fail thee. Looking at ourselves leads to despair, but looking to him leads to hope and comfort. In fact, verse 3 of the passage I read says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look to him, and you won't grow weary. You won't grow faint-hearted. It's interesting to me, too, that we have two very similar phrases. Keep your eye on the ball, right? But keep your eyes on the... It rhymes. On the prize, right? Keep your, and you almost say, well, that sounds very similar, but it's not, right? You keep your eye on the ball means you're focused on this moment, this one next pitch, this one challenge. There's nothing else. There's no scoreboard. There's no runner on third. There's no playoffs next week, and it's all riding on me. It's just this pitch. Keep your eye on this pitch. Keep your eyes on the prize means look at the big picture, 
right? Focus on what you ultimately want to accomplish. And what's amazing as a believer is, for us, it's the same thing. Keeping your eye on the, the prize, keeping your eye on Jesus, keeping your eye on what you need for this moment or what we need for ultimate glory. It's all the same thing because Jesus is the prize. In fact, right here in this passage, that's the picture. You're running a race and you're keeping your eye on him. We read in Philippians 3, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Keeping our eye on the prize, keeping our eye on the coach, keeping our eye on the one that we want, the one that will get us through this next pitch and the whole rest of the game and the whole rest of the season and all of eternity, pushing a sports metaphor. I never do sports metaphors, but I'm going nuts with it today. That is how we find what we are looking for. We find it not in ourselves, but in Jesus. This was something that Luther learned in spades, and I acknowledge I probably use this illustration too much, and so I am going to use it one more time today and then put a moratorium on it for seven years. Luther, he was an Augustinian monk. He was obsessed with his own sin. He knew his own heart, and he was always trying to work and work and work, and then he would look inward and go, still filthy. He'd work and work, and he he scrubbed his portion of the floor in the monastery until all of the other monks hated him. Because they'd walk out through their portions and it was clean, but it was dull. They had to walk on Luther's and you could see a reflection in the stone. He'd go into confession four times a day and he had to actually be banned. Come back when you have interesting sins. You've you've got nothing, man. But he kept looking inward. Finally, his father confessor, Johann Stoppitz, gave him a crucifix and said, Listen, stop looking into yourself. Look to the wounds of Christ. Look to him. Say, I'm yours, Jesus. Save me. That's what you do when you sense your, your, your filth, your, your wickedness in God's presence and go, I, I can't be here. And the, and the devil, the accuser, is throwing across, throwing accusations and, and acting as a prosecutor. And you go, wow, this isn't even slander. Half of it's really right on the money. But Luther said, when the devil throws your sin in your face and tells you you do not deserve heaven and you deserve hell and death, say to him, what of it? I know that I deserve hell and death, but there is, one who has made, uh, there is one who has made atonement in my place and made satisfaction before God. His name is Jesus Christ, and where he is, there I will be as well. Seven years. But I think that's one of the blessings of Holy Communion. Our attention is drawn to the altar, to the bread on, and the cup in which Christ's body and blood are spiritually present. And in that holy meal, in this holy meal, we find not only hope, but we keep our eye on him, even as we think about what happened that brought us out of death and into life. We don't, we don't just see him, but you taste the elements and you feel them with your fingers and on your tongue and you smell them. And if you listen very carefully when I break the bread, you can even hear them, all of our senses, focusing out of ourselves, away from ourselves, where we won't find any comfort, where we'll only find condemnation, instead focusing on Jesus and Him crucified. And this is a comfort for us because it takes the attention away from us and puts it on His body, which was broken for our sin, and on His blood, which was shed for us to make atonement for us, because He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And when one of those fastballs comes through that says, you will not carry it through to the end, you quit on everything, you fail, you fall, 
we can say, I, I do that. I, yeah, I do sometimes. But you know what? I'm not the perfecter of my faith. I didn't start this thing, and I'm not going to see it through to the end. Because He is in me, I will overcome to the end. One of my favorite hymns of all time is The Solid Rock. It says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Holy lean. There's nothing else I trust. And I certainly am not trusting in myself, in my own prayers, in my own decision, in my own commitment. Rather, I look away from myself and look to Him for everlasting life. Heavenly Father, we thank You for that wonderful message of hope we find in Hebrews 12. Because at the end of Hebrews 11, if we were tempted to think on our shoulders is all of the um, the weight of our sin, the weight of, of the law, the weight of our, our falling short, and we need to somehow make, a, 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 make it right, Lord, we know we would fall. We know we could not do it. We know that we, we need to turn our eyes up to the hills and say, where does my help come from? Up to one particular hill, Mount Calvary, and say, my help comes from the Lord who there on that hill died to make satisfaction to wash me and make me white as snow so that my, my sin, which was red like crimson, is washed away and I am clean and pure and I stand as, as holy as Christ in the presence of my God. Christ's righteousness imputed to me. What a wonderful news. And Lord, as we take this holy meal together, I pray that we would remember that what you have accomplished is accomplished in us and that you, Lord, are present with us. And Lord, we think of the words of the Baptist Confession that while not physically, not corporeally present in the bread and the cup which remain bread and the fruit of the vine, Lord, you are present in these things spiritually. And we do partake of your death spiritually and all the benefits thereof. And that, Lord, this is something solemn that we must not do in an unworthy manner. But, Lord, because we are rooted in you, we can worthily take it. Lord, we pray that we would remember that just as bread and drink nourish our bodies, so this holy meal nourishes our souls. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.